15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Thank you for listening to BRC and Friends. This is another episode that is done in partnership between First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto and BRC and Friends. In this series, you're going to be hearing from candidates for the Palo Alto City Council. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. My name is Bruce Reyes-Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything else that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for me to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. I returned to do, my, to do law school at Santa Clara University. And it was during my first year of law school where, again, I really wanted to find a w- ways to kind of give back to my, to my community. Uh, I again got to experience through law school and the work that I was doing, uh, interning in the district attorney's office and, and all, uh, um, and, and other work that I was doing that, again, that I just, I felt like I was given so much in my life and I wanted to find a way to be able to give back, especially to the community that provided me so much. So when I was uh, in my first year of law school, at the age of 23, I was appointed to the Palo Alto Human Relations Commission. And I served on that commission for several years, both as vice chair as well as chair, really championed issues of, of homelessness, teen, uh, teen and youth well-being, uh, in addition to senior, senior citizen services as well. And it was, it was really kind of through that, um, and especially my work on youth well-being, you know, shortly after I graduated from, from Pali, uh, Gunn High School, had that pandemic of teen suicides that all of us remember so so well, um, and 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 I, I joined Project Safety Net when I was a human relations commissioner, and really started to learn about all the brain research and all the science behind youth well-being and and factors that were leading to teen suicide, and one of the biggest factors was students, young people, having a having a trusted adult to be able who's not their parent who's not a family friend, um, to be able to confide in uh, and to know that they support them and, wanted, and want to see them do well. And, you know, my mom was a teacher, my wife's a teacher, and I, I just, I kind of had this calling. I did a little bit of teaching myself, uh, studying for law school, and decided, you know, that was my, that was my true passion. And so I, I practiced law for a few years. I was in the district attorney's office. I did private, uh, I did private legal work as well. I just really found that I could do much more good in my community as a teacher. And so I've now taught at JLS Middle School here in Palo Alto. Last year, I taught at Gunn High School. And currently, I'm teaching both U.S. History at Gunn High School, and I'm teaching, and I'm the student activities director over at Pali. Uh, so oh it's really, again, it just kind of, I feel, I always feel bad telling my students that from the other schools because they always feel with the rivalry, they go, how can you? Sure. How can you be a teacher so do, at the other school? So do you have a do you have a hat or a jacket that is like cut in half and you like sew them together like the A's <laughs> Giants ones that people wear? You if you don't, you should. I mean that should just be like get a Letterman's jacket that's half each one. Uh, <laughs> I think that 
that would be that would be great, Bruce. If you want to make that for me, I'd appreciate. There you go. There you go. I'll add it to my skill set of things that I do not do well. Uh, so you're, but you're obviously live in Palo Alto now. I live in Palo Alto. Um, yep. I, I obviously, and so what? You know, I mean, you were on the Human Rights Commission, and all these things you've done. So why run? And uh, uh, yeah, why run for a city council? I mean, it's not a full time position. I've been on a couple of the meetings. They're excruciatingly long. Um, plus all the work that you're doing like behind the scenes, you know, and your job, uh, all of those things. Why are you feeling drawn to, to run for city council at this point? Yeah, I think one lesson that my, that my mom and my dad, both public servants throughout their entire career, really instilled in me at a young age was that if you have, if you have the capability of making a difference within your community, there was time you have the responsibility to do that. Uh, and I think that's what's drawn me over the years to serving on the Palo Alto Human Relations Commission, now serving on the Santa Clara County Human Rights Commission. Uh, I, I chair the Palo Alto Midtown Residents Association. And what drew me into law in the first place and what has drawn me into teaching, just this, this belief that, you know, I, I was given so much uh, and I feel like I can make a difference in people's lives. And that's what's drawn me into public service to this point. I think now Palo Alto... I think we've reached an inflection point. Yeah, I think the, the issues in our community and worldwide that have been caused by this pandemic, caused by the economic recession, the social unrest across the nation and, and here at home have all provided this really unique opportunity where a lot of commentators have, have labeled a great reset. And the idea of that great reset is that we're gonna have a really limited window of time when we come out of this pandemic to kind of forego those antiquated systems that's caused so many of our persistent problems like affordable housing, traffic, climate change, parking, uh, social justice issues, et cetera, you name it. Uh, and we're gonna have an opportunity to really kind of forge ahead with a community that is much more diverse and equitable. And I believe that that fits more the Palo Alto values than what we've seen in the past, but it's gonna be a very limited time. It's gonna require strong leadership that understands this community from various levels, uh, and that has the experience uh, and know-how to be able to get that done. And that's why I think my, my eight years of public service within this community, in addition to being a teacher, in addition to being raised here and going through all the schools here and knowing this community so well, has situated me in a position where I, I believe that I'm the right person to be able to help Palo Alto through these incredibly challenging times and be able to help guide us in the direction of that community that, that I, I think is the Palo Alto community that we all want to live in. Okay. Great. Thank you. We'll, we'll definitely dive into those in a minute, but let's talk about really important things about me. Um, so I'm new to Palo Alto, right? I've, I've uh, been here a little over a year and uh, I grew up in Sacramento and Stockton. So I have, I have suburban roots and kind of in my upbringing until really until when I went away to college and then um, have lived in San Francisco for the past 30 years. Um, pastoring different churches and doing a lot of different kinds of things. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know my new home. Uh, I think uh, I get to bring a, a set of eyes and, you know, kind of see this, this, the place from an outsider's perspective, which is annoying for some people, but I also think is also, you know, it's one of those things that you know, like a, a new set of eyes begins to kind of um, maybe point out things, but um but let me ask you, uh, why do you love Palo Alto? I mean, what about this city um, do you love? I mean, why, why, why invest in your time and your energy and all those things in this particular place? 
Well, first, welcome to Palo Alto. <laughs> I hope it's your home for a very long time. I think you're going to be very happy I, with. I, I think the church people listening are always like, "You better stay." Like I'm like, "Don't worry." Like I'm committed here. This is why I'm like doing this. Is like I'm 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 committed in a long term. Like, what is this place going to look like? So yeah, again, sorry to interrupt. Go for it. Why, why do you love this place? Well, you know, I think I, kind of a story, to, a quick story to share, of, which I think really symbolizes the Palo Alto spirit and community. Uh, as I mentioned, my parents, their, their home is in Boulder Creek. Uh, and I'm sure all of you are aware, Boulder Creek has been yep. hit by some very devastating fires. And my parents' home, my childhood home, lo is located right there on the, on the Boulder Creek golf course, right where the fires have, have been. We're still, we're still waiting to hear, hear news. Okay. It's been a very mm -hmm. stressful couple of weeks trying to find sure. that. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, my, my parents, uh, and my sister lives up there as well. Um, my parents were evacuated from Boulder Creek and they had to come down here. Yeah. You know, I, I put them, I put them up and, um, and, and it was within a couple of days, them being down here that the school district kind of put out, uh, a, a message to, to the community saying, Hey, we have teachers who have been displaced by these fires. Can anyone help out? And immediately i mean within 20 minutes of that email my mom was contacted by several parents in the in in the community uh, offering up their offering up their homes offering up their cottages one offered her vacation home in lake tahoe i mean really whatever they want free of charge no questions asked the first night my mom and my dad were staying at this place uh, they said that, that the, not only the family was so sweet, their neighbors came over with a whole tray of food for them. <laughs> uh, people have been donating, do, have been donating DoorDash gift cards and Nordstrom right. Rack gift cards and, and all that. And just that, I, that to me is the Palo Alto spirit and, and community. I think a lot of times to outsiders, they kind of look at Palo Alto and think that we're very elitist and, and kind of closed off. But I find that the opposite is actually is actually so true. And I love it when my friends come and visit Palo Alto from outside of from from kind of outside the region because they have all of these thoughts about what Palo Alto is, uh, and they get here and they recognize that it absolutely is not true. That it is an incredibly caring, empathetic community. And yeah, and and I think that starts with with the students. I mean, with the kids growing up here. I mean, I, I'm. My wife, she teaches at Menlo Atherton High School. She's always so jealous when she overhears my students and me on a, on a Zoom call because she says at the end of the Zoom call, they're all saying, thank you, Mr. Stone. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and that doesn't happen. That, I guess that doesn't happen in, in her school. So these are just examples of just the type of community that this, that this is. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why you know, I really believe that I, that I want to give back because it's a community that has given me so much and my family so much. I feel it's only right that, that I try to return the favor in the, in the best way that I can. And I believe that is sure. through the public service that I've been giving. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I, I will, I will say I've, I have certainly come to really love this community, but I, I will say there are there, I, some of those, those stereotypes of Palo Alto, I, I will tell you are true. Like uh, there are, there are, there are elements of, kind of um, the outsider piece is a very interesting piece as, I've, as I'm moving here versus visiting, right? As I'm kind of setting roots down and beginning to engage in conversations and this idea that um, if, if you haven't been here forever, then your voice doesn't need to be heard. That I've been, I've been told on multiple occasions in response to kind of like, so tell me about this. I'm like, well, you're not from Palo Alto, so you may not 
understand. I think there's a, there is a, a piece where some of the, what I've experienced is the, the loveliness of the small town. The flip side of that sometimes can be where like we are this group and it's hard to break in. So, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's gentle. And I have folks that have been interesting who lived here forever uh, from the church and like, yeah, things have changed, but that we aren't able to actually see how things because we have kind of lived in the water a bit. Um, I certainly, but I certainly, you know, I'm getting to know businesses and uh, you know, folks are getting to know my name because I'm trying to go to the same places all the time and, all those kind of things. So it's 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 been an interesting time coming here from a very different context um, of being in the city. Um, it has its own challenges. You know, the scale is different. There's populations different. All of that. So what do you think are the challenges for Palo You mentioned a little bit that we're kind of moving into this kind of really interesting time for everyone. What do you think the challenges are then for Palo Alto in this future? Like what what do you see as some of these major things coming forward? Yeah, well, well, I mean, first kind of follow up on what you just said. Yeah, I, I think definitely, definitely you're right as far as that outside perspective, really important. I think that was one thing for me too, eye-opening when my wife moved here a few years ago. She was born in Mexico, immigrated to the United States, lived in Union City and Hayward with her family and, 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 felt, and felt similar ways when she, when she came here and has kind of grown to re- yeah. really love and, and appreciate this community. But yeah, I, I hear a lot of what you're saying, and she said she said similar things as well. So that that side of the community is there, but you know, kind of just like how the United States we're always striving to reach those goals uh, <laughs> yes. that we set out at the foundations of this country. We'll, we'll you know we haven't reached it, but we'll continue to. I think Palo Alto is, is is a very similar way, and I think we're making good gains. Um, so as far as the kind of the most pressing things facing the city, of course, affordable housing uh, is my is my key number one issue that I, that I care about. One of the reasons why I'm running is, is the affordable housing piece of it. Uh, we could talk more about that mm-hmm. uh, yep, as we will. well. That's of course going to be an ongoing challenge. Uh, the economic recovery is going to be absolutely key. We're going through the greatest economic recession since the great depression. And you know, Palo Alto is feeling that pain. I mean, we just had to cut over $40 million from our, from our budget. And, and, and finding ways to help us build out of, out of this problem, again, in a way that's going to be much more equitable and fair for everyone is going to be key and kind of putting a focus on people first, rather than rather than um, other areas such as like in, infrastructure investments when, when we're at, in the middle of this crisis. Um, Climate change is always going to be one of the things that I'm uh, I'm incredibly uh, focused on uh, as well. I mean, that's we have about a 10-year window before we literally go off the cliff, and we have so we have a very small amount of time to be able to change that. And I really believe in this idea of of uh, thinking globally but acting locally. And I think especially Palo Alto being such world leaders on so many issues. And a lot of the communities in the region really do follow Palo Alto's lead on so many issues of, of policy and govern and good governance. Uh, this is another one of those areas where Palo Alto has done very well in the past, but there's room for improvement that we need to move forward to. Um, and then I think kind of the the two final ones that I that I'm focusing on. One is traffic and parking issues. Of course, not really right now during the middle of the pandemic and sheltering <laughs> in place, but uh, pre pre pandemic. You know, traffic in this in this region is some of the worst in the entire nation, uh, and Palo Alto is 
really kind of at the center of that in many ways. And so addressing that. Uh, and then another issue that I'm really focused on is creating a closer government community partnership. I think it's really key that government works for the people. Uh, it's not the other way around. And if you look at like the, the, the kind of the organizational chart of Palo Alto, it's supposed to be residents on top, then city council, then city staff. And so it's really council's job to take the wishes of the community and then direct staff in fulfilling those, those wishes. Uh, and oftentimes that hasn't seemed to be the case. Um, and I would like to see more community members at the table when making decisions that are critical for the, for the community and the neighborhoods that you live in. As the chair of the city's largest residents association, I've been frustrated several times when it just kind of seems like the city is just kind of seeking our input as a really as kind of a checkbox uh, and not actually incorporating our our feelings and our, and our beliefs. And I just kind of think overall for governance, you know, we're not always going to agree on everything, but I think people are okay with decisions when they feel like they've been heard and when they feel that the process has been fair. Uh, and I think we haven't done a good enough job in the recent past at, at doing that. I'd like to change that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that's a good, you know, just in terms of how much, in any kind of organization as you start moving, you know, up or whatever. And like, where's, where's the leadership pieces? Like, what do you challenge your community to believe? And then what is the community encouraging you to do? And what happens if the community stands against something you personally are, I mean, I think that's, which is, I think is great. Right. I mean, I think that's how we all kind of grow and move. So um, that's, that's great. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, and tell me about a little bit, let's just stay on, on climate change stuff a little bit. So, you know, um, Palo Alto is leading the way, trying to, uh, uh, our, was, I think it's 2030. We're trying to, 30, yep. Yep. 2030. Um, t talk a little bit about how would you kind of push that, move that? How does it impact other things that are going on in the city? Um, yeah. Just chat, talk a little bit about your, uh, how you think climate change, uh, we're going to lead the way on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, so for those for those who aren't aware what the 20 by 30 means, it's, it's basically Palo Alto's ambitious goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions to um, to 80 percent, 80 percent of 1990 levels by 2030. Um, and so sorry, 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 it's 80 by 30. Um, and um, and, and, you know, and I'd like to go even one step further on that and see if we can get to a um, and see if we can get to being carbon neutral um, and energy efficient by by 20 by 2040. I, there are a lot of mm -hmm. communities around the country that are looking at that goal and putting policies in place to be able to meet that. Again, I always think, you know, I think Palo Alto should be the world leader on a lot of these issues. And we have right. we have a history of being leaders. Climate change should be absolutely one of those in which we're doing that. So one of the policies that I'm interested in pursuing that I think will have a, a, a great impact and really help us be able to meet these goals is, is, is looking, exploring policies to extend telecommuting indefinitely, even when this pandemic ends. You know, I think yeah. we've, we have this really, I mean, again, we have this, just this great opportunity from what's happening right now to, to be able to see in real time a lot of these kind of hypothetical questions that policymakers have had forever, but I've never been able to have the mechanism in which to test it out in a wide scale way. Yeah, at, a, at the height of shelter in place during March, April, during a seven week span, greenhouse gas emissions were reduced in the Bay Area by 32%. 
and major traffic accidents were reduced by 68%. Uh, yeah, and, and, if, and, and polling of, of employers sh- and employees show about 40% of tech workers would be fine just working from home indefinitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, or at least some sort of hybrid Something. is key. Um, and, you know, the county of Santa Clara has already committed to doing this. They've already said 22,000 county employees are going to work from home indefinitely. Major tech companies around the region and world have committed to this as well. And the county of Santa Clara yeah. has also partnered with a lot of local jurisdictions to create a task force to really kind of explore these policies. Palo Alto is not on that task force right now. I don't understand why. Um, we really should have a seat at that table because I think it's going to be it's going to be key. So not only is that going to be able to help us get single occupancy vehicles off the road, it, it's also going to give us an opportunity to be able to um, to have less of a reliance on office space within this community. And with less of a reliance on office space, that's really going to open up opportunity for more housing. And also, I think an exciting opportunity to see can we can we then refurbish existing office space that's no longer might not might no longer be needed into housing so i think that's gonna yeah. you know, have a yeah. uh, i don't want to say a golden bullet but it's gonna be right, a right, right. helpful tool in getting uh, there yeah i think that's yeah um i was just on a call the other day and that and um you know congregations are beginning to think about uh you know so our church is closed our facilities down except for we have a couple of tenants that are essential tenants and then uh, we're not meeting face to face. We've decided certainly by the, through the end of the year and we are early on that. And then we will probably have to make some decisions about even after that. But I think one of the things where we should take into consideration uh, is what's our carbon footprint just on for, you know, all the Sundays and gatherings and all those kind of things. It may not be a lot, but it, it's a good thing to begin to think about when we we have folks kind of coming in from all over, uh, what does that even look like? I mean, it's a it's an interesting time right now to look at at that. Well, focusing on our individual stuff, but also these large companies. How do we engage them because they've been forced to have to think about it as well, right? So, um, all right, so that's good. So we're gonna let's jump in some issues. And I said we're gonna start with a really easy one right off the bat and talk about institutional racism and policing and. Uh, you know, because, you know, nobody's talking about that these days. I, just to give you some context, First Presbyterian Church is, it has been um, a fairly justice-centered progressive congregation for decades. It was an anti-war movement church uh, when Robert McAfee Brown was there. And it's a sanctuary church and it's um, a more light church for LGBTQIA people. I mean, there's lots of, this is like, you know, in their DNA and one of the reasons I came here was because we get to dive deep into that connection between politics and faith. Um, and so um, we are having lots of conversations about racism in our own congregation, our denomination and the world and also policing. So um, t- talk a little bit about, about where you, I don't even want to say where you stand, but just kind of how have you experienced um, our understandings around race in Palo Alto specifically around policing, you know, there's movements, the eight can't wait just got passed, which I, we can talk about. There's the reform, there's refunding or defunding, there's abolishment, there's all kinds of things. Muse a little bit about where, where your head is. And so folks get an idea about kind of where you, um, how you think about all these things. And again, we have some time. So let's dive in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really always kind of um, welcome the opportunity to talk about these things, because especially for, you know, especially, I think for me, I, I have an interesting background on this, uh, on this issue, because you know, my father was a law enforcement officer. 
Um, but I've been so, but, and, and so that's what like one perspective I have. I also worked in the district attorney's office and worked very right. closely with a lot of the police officers here in Palo Alto. So I have a great respect for the profession and, and an understanding of the work that they do is, is incredibly difficult, incredibly important. Uh, that being said, policing is not like other professions where it's okay to just have a few bad apples in it. I mean, that'd be, you know, like, it's okay if, you know, not all your Subway sandwich makers are, are Gordon Ramsay. Right, right. Uh, that's fine. No, one, no one's going to get hurt. Uh, but I find policing is more like aer- airplane pilots, right? It's not okay yeah. to have a bad apple flying your airplane. It's not okay to have a bad apple stopping you on the street with the authority to be able to do so and to be able to have a gun and the authority to be able to, uh, to be able to arrest you. So, um, um, you know, my, my work on the Palo Alto Human Relations Commission, I was very focused on issues of, of policing here in the, in the community as, as well as, uh, as well as now as my position on the Santa Clara County Human Rights Commission. Uh, I, I actually currently chair the Justice Review Committee uh, as well. And our job really is to kind of sort of in a way offer oversight of, um, of policing and the jails here in Santa Clara County. And I'm also currently serving on a task force within that commission to recommend police changes to, uh, to the Board of Supervisors. So this is work that I've been very closely, uh, working very closely with. And I mean, Palo Alto, it really is a critical issue. I mean, just a couple of, st- you know, a couple of statistics points. Blacks make up only about 1.6% of Palo Alto's population, but make up 23.2% of our arrests. If you are black in Palo Alto, you are 13 times more likely to be arrested than a white person in Palo Alto. And to give you a sense of how that compares to the national average, the average, at, the average rate at the, ne- at the national level is blacks are only five times more likely to be arrested than, than whites. Um, and so we'll have, there's, there's clearly a problem in Palo Alto that needs to be addressed. Many of us are familiar now with some of the stories of police brutality that are coming out, especially with, yeah. uh, with residents like over at, Buena, at the Buena Vista Mobile Home Park and the incident yeah. uh, at, uh, at the Happy Donuts over there as well. And so these are issues that need to be addressed and need to be addressed seriously. And I'm always a big believer in looking at best practices around, you know, around the world. I always tell my students, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Find out who's been doing something that works well and then build upon it, make it better. So for example, um, and this kind of goes to your question about defunding, uh, defunding and, and abolishing and all, all that. I, I, think, I think the real issue is reallocating. I think reallocating is going to be is going to be is going to be the kind of important tool here. So there's a program in Eugene, Oregon called the Cahoots program. Yep. Uh, very good. I guess I can tell you're pretty, familiar. Pretty, with pretty, pretty much. Uh, so it's great. Like I've known about Cahoots for a long time. There's other. I mean, it, but both Adrian and Pat have both mentioned it. So well done. Now every <laughs> <laughs> the next all of them better. I'm like y'all better bench Cahoots because <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a great. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's no. a good. It's a good. It's a good sign that public leaders are looking at other places to begin to think about alternative ways of policing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just it, it's critical. Um, and so, for those on this call who aren't familiar, or just kind of, kind of brief explanation mm-hmm. of what what, Cahoot, what the Coots program is. It's basically the idea that if someone calls into nine one one, you have a non police dispatcher who gets the call first, and then they direct the call 
towards the kind of like the proper uh, responders. And so if it's an emergency call that it, that does require, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's a violent call, if it's a call that actually involves the law, police officer will respond. If it's a call that many, many, many of our calls do involve, which are incidents of mental health um, or like an accident, then they'll call a mental health professional to come to the scene. And if you look at the rates of, you look at the rates at, from through uh, at Eugene, Oregon, not only has it saved the city millions of dollars doing yeah. this, but it's also greatly reduced the amount of incidents of, of police violence uh, and the amounts of police shootings as well, because most of most police shooting does involve somebody with a mental health problem. And so why have police being sent to these incidents? 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. When you have a problem, Fox 12 gets you answers. The violence continues. When crime hits too close to home, we want to make sure your voice is heard. We're listening and ready to confront your problems head on. How can Fox 12 help you? Tell us at kptv.com. When a mental health professional is not only cheaper, more effective, but also safer for the community uh, as a whole. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think that that I think that's one of the things that I I, I hope that because I I kind of feel like one of the gems of Palo Alto is it's it's still fairly small, right? It's still in many ways the scale and 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 our professed creativity and innovation should be this great place to to try some of these things, like the, the that we could actually move some of the, some creative things to happen. Um, so I, I think that that's great. Thank you. Uh, we're good. We're, um, uh, I want to make sure we get to a bunch of stuff here. So uh, let's talk about housing. Cause again, nobody wants to talk about housing. It's nobody cares about that. Um, affordable housing, housing density. Uh, I know there's lots out there about ideas, uh, assumptions, all that kind of stuff. Where, where are you on, uh, you mentioned affordable housing. But um, just talk about what your future thinking about is for housing for um, uh, for Palo Alto, and then we'll talk. We can again dive a little deeper into that too. Yeah, well, again, like I, like I mentioned, housing is my number is my number one concern, um, and I think our I think our city's policies for the last several years has really kind of dropped the ball when it comes to housing production. I mean, you know, again, throw out some data points. Since 2015, Palo Alto has only permitted about 100, sorry, about 555 new housing units. Um, and most of the housing that, that we create is market rate housing and, and luxury housing. So like in 2018. Can, can, I, can I ask, so those housings that have been approved, are those multi-units? Are they going to be single families? I and mean, what generally, what, what are we approving in, in Palo Alto? Mo most, of the, most of those are multi-units. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. most of those are, are, are multi-units. Um, and so, and most of those, and most of those housing, again, are market rate or luxury housing. Um, right. Like in 2018, Palo Alto only met 6% of its very low income regional housing needs allocation um, kind of targets. We have, we have a percentage of yeah. targets for the different type of income levels that we're supposed to be meeting within uh, a particular span of time. Right. Palo Alto and the state of California has traditionally done terrible when it comes to creating that type of housing. 
but we actually do really well when it comes to creating market rate and luxury housing. I, Palo Alto met 56% of its uh, allocation in, in, 28, in 2018. Oftentimes the number is around that or, or more. Uh, and the state also does very well at, at creating that type of housing. So for me, it's really about, it, it's really about how, how are we gonna use our housing policies to make sure that not only is housing being created, um, but also that it's the type of housing so we'll be able to maintain the the, diver the the diversity that we have left in this town. It's we've really been losing that diversity over the past several years, I think, because of our housing uh, because of our housing prices, um, and also to be be able to provide opportunities for people who work and serve this community. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing a, a, a exodus of of community serving professionals in the next few years if we cannot start to get a handle on this problem. You know, for example, last year when I was working at Gun, one of the one of my one of my colleagues who worked right next door to me, she's an incredible teacher. Kids loved her, top of her game. She and her husband moved to Oregon this summer, simply because of housing affordability in the Bay Area. We're going to continue to see that, and I'm, I'm very concerned about what does this community look like in the next ten or twenty years when people like myself and my wife, who are both teachers can't afford to live in this in this community or can't afford to live even within this region without having to commute over two hours to, to get here. Right. Um, so do you want me to kind of focus on like where my so, 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 so Yeah, so um, let's talk, let's talk, let's focus on that affordable housing and um, projects that have, uh, you know, how, how well we've done. I mean, what are your, some, some of your ideas around what is affordable housing? We just heard Mountain View and Google just announced this big thing with 20% of that housing being affordable, deed restricted. And I know that there's, there's been some of that here, but not a lot. I mean, what, what are you thinking about? How do we solve this affordable housing then uh, for Palo Alto? Well, I think a, a big part of it, because right, cities don't actually build housing, right? We, we, right. we, we, we um, zone for it and, and, try to, and try to get it built. Oftentimes when it comes to pure affordable housing, that's going to be subsidized. That might be subsidized housing where the city would actually help contract with it. But generally speaking, cities aren't in the business of actually creating housing. A big part of the problem here in Palo Alto is when we leave housing, when we just leave development up to the market, the market's going to create the best return on the investment. That's what any developer is going to do because that's what you do in business. It makes sense. Um, and so, and in Palo Alto, when we've done that, we've seen what's happened over the past several years where we get, um, where we have a lot of building of office space and a lot of building of luxury housing because office space sells for $12 a square foot in Palo Alto. Luxury housing sells for $4 a square foot and affordable housing is far less. And so we need to have a much stronger office cap in this, in this city to make sure that developers get to the point where, sorry, it's closed. You can't build any more office. So your next best bet is to build housing or that's it. Tough luck. Sorry. Um, I think that will help us get to, to more, um, to more housing being built. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know, when it comes down to housing, like you mentioned, Mountain View, the 20% inclusionary rate, so that 20% of those units have to be deed restricted below market rate housing. Currently, Palo Alto's is at 15%. San Francisco's at 25%. There is room for us to move that number. It's come before city council a few times in the past several years, and they have refused to study it. Um, I, I think that that makes no sense to me. I mean, it, let's study the issue and see, can we make this work for our own, for our own community? Um, there's other smart policies that I think that we can do to be able to help 
preserve the housing that we have, because of course a, a city's existing housing stock is always going to be the most affordable housing. So I'd like to see, I would propose a no net loss housing policy within my first six months on council, basically telling developers, if you are going to destroy a housing development to replace it with another housing development, you have to replace it with the same amount, if not more housing. Uh, had sure. we done that, we could have, we could have prevented the, the issue, the loss of affordable housing at the President's Hotel er earlier this year. Uh, mm -hmm. And then finally, true investment in affordable, in affordable housing production. Um, you know, a lot of that is going to require the city to be able to raise more funds. So I think looking into a business tax when the, when the economy recovers, of course, it's not a good time to do it right now, but when the economy recovers, looking into a business tax, Palo Alto is one of the only communities in the region who don't have a business tax. Um, so business tax to be able to, and, and dedicate that business tax to things like affordable housing and transportation. Um, and, uh, and there are other taxes that other communities around the country are using, such as like a speculation tax. Basically, right. you know, if you're just gonna, if you're gonna buy a home in Palo Alto and not actually live in it and only use it as an investment tool, you're gonna get taxed pretty heavily on that. Right. Uh, and we can put that towards affordable housing. So those are some examples of, uh, mm -hmm. of kind of my policy direction on affordable housing. Right. And, and I've also heard, you know, some of the folks, some, some issues around what does the neighborhood look like? What does California Avenue look like? What are, like, what are the trade-offs going to be to build more housing, affordable housing, however, just to, to have more people? Because it does feel like, you know, coming from San Francisco, where we, I think we doubled or tripled in size when people come in to work. I mean, it feels like a ton of people come into Palo Alto to work. I mean, it's about then, the same. It's about, we about double or triple in yeah, size during the day. And, and, and wouldn't it be better and nicer if folks could live and work in the same town? Um, our investment becomes deeper, all of those kind of things. So folks who are kind of, I don't want to say anti-housing, but are, are, I think are perceived as like, let's slow growth, no growth, whatever, what, I don't how you want to describe it. What are some of the pushbacks then you get around increasing affordable housing or even increasing housing in general that, that, that you think are out there for folks? I mean, what are people saying like, no, 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 let's, let's not do this. Let's, let's really just stay exactly the same as we are and not, you know, I think it, it goes to kind of this insider outsider thing in some ways. Uh, but what, what, are the, what are the critiques of increasing our affordable housing or increasing housing uh, in, in Palo Alto? Well, you know, I, I think, I think there's really two kind of camps in Palo Alto when it comes to the housing debate. There is one, there's one camp um, where they really view house, the, the solution to housing, which is um, more what I view as kind of like a trickle down housing approach. And their idea is build as much market rate housing as you can. Um, and then that will trickle down through the different segments of the market and create more affordable housing at the bottom. Um, I don't buy that argument. I, I feel like trickle down economics failed us during the Reagan era. I think it's gonna, I think, it, and, and it is the tool that has been used mostly in this region for the last 10 years. And it continues to show that it has, that it has failed. And oftentimes when we look at examples around the country where policymakers have just said, okay, we're just gonna upzone an area to allow for more housing, that actually leads to greater gentrification. I mean, for an example, out of Harlem, they did upzoning in, in Harlem to try to increase development there and rents skyrocketed by about 38% in that span of time for Harlem. Whereas like Manhattan, it only increased by about 16% during the same uh, 10 year mm -hmm. span. 
and the population skyrocketed in Harlem, but that population increase was driven by over a 400% increase in white people moving into Harlem and about a 10% decrease in blacks moving out of Harlem. And so we gotta be really careful when we're talking about these different housing policies that we think, oh, all housing is, is the same. Well, no, especially I think in a community like Palo Alto, where market rate housing is gonna be more housing for millionaires and billionaires, and it's gonna to continue to leave out the people that most need it. Now, of course we need more, more market rate housing. That's, that is important, sure. but we also need to make sure that we are focusing on the group of people who have been historically left out of Palo Alto. Um, and that is our communities of color. That is our low, our, our low income um, communities. That's our teachers and our nurses and our firefighters and other, uh, and other community members who make enough money to not qualify for subsidized housing, but who do not make right. enough housing, make enough money to be able to actually afford to live here. So that's going to, so that's going to be key. And right. so that's why I really believe in a strong housing policy that, um, that is going to require government to sort of step up and be able to help those who cannot help themselves. Right. So could you, let me, and I'm, I'm not a housing expert, so I'm not pretending. Could you upzone and then a, and then a community requires that affordable housing percentage? Or I mean, is that, I mean, is yeah. the mistake in upzoning and then not holding developers accountable? I mean, it's, it feels like this, if we could do that, then there's possibility there, right? I mean, I, feels like again i'm not a housing expert yeah well one one part of that problem that we've seen um in other in other areas around the country that have done similar things is that when you upzone it like when all of a sudden you tell people hey this block you used to be able to only have you know 10 units of housing per right. you know, whatever on, on a lot of land now you're able to have 50 well now all of a sudden because we all know land right it's all about speculative speculation price right now all of a sudden that land just you know just ballooned in the in the in the value of the land because now developers are going to be able to get so much more a return on their investment right. that then in turn leads to a higher pricing of housing in the re, uh, in the region which kind of continues to to push people to push people out now if that was if that were tied to an, a greater rate of inclusionary zoning uh, i think that would definitely help but studies have also shown that the diff that the, that the difference between that increase in inclusionary zoning and the overall increase in land value actually makes it so that um, that it's actually worse for housing affordability, even for the people who qualify for low income housing in, in that area. Mm -hmm. And so that's why upzoning is a is a tool, but to think of it as the only tool is ineffective and actually detrimental to our housing affordability mm -hmm. crisis. Great. All right. All right. Well, we're, that's a lot on housing. We're actually, we're 45 minutes in already, man. So, uh, yeah, we, we started. <laughs> so let me ask you, you know, these are not quite as, uh, uh, exciting. And those of you that are watching, you know, uh, feel free to put some questions in the Q and a, and we'll get to those in just a little bit. But so, you know, we have folks who are going to watch this who are from faith communities. Uh, you've been here a while. I mean, what do you see as a role of the faith communities in Palo Alto in the future? You know, again, this compared to the other two, this is not the hot topic of the day. But you know, there's quite a few here as I'm getting to know folks. What do you see our role uh, in in being part of the the next phase of of this city? Um, good question. Well, well, first, I just want to say I think I think you are you are entering the leadership of one of the greatest churches in this community. I, I have always respected. <laughs> you don't. You do not need to butter them up. They they are fine. Well, They're ahead. 
they'll be fine. <laughs> they they Go deserve ahead, it. I've always I've always respected. I've always respected that because I, I feel like a lot of churches, you know, don't don't um, kind of push the some of the issues of social justice out there, and they try then they tend to ignore it. I love that your church has always welcomed it and encouraged it and have kind of disseminated that that belief around town. And I, I think that's really important for people. Oh, yeah. They're, they're totally annoying about it. And I love it. I mean, I tell them all the time, like, you guys are just pains in the butt. And if for a good reason, like, I don't, I never get people coming to me going, you know, we need to work on the carpet or we need to work on the, it's always, why are we not pushing this more? And I'm like, okay, like, I can, that's great. So, yeah. I, yes, I love them too. So yeah, I okay. agree. Sorry. And so I, I think the faith community can can really help out with a lot of a lot of our societal problems here in Palo Alto. One, when it comes to safe uh, safe parking for RV dwellers, I know a lot of churches in the community mm-hmm. have opened yeah. up their um, their parking lots for that. I think that's something that we need to absolutely expand. And I I give kudos to Joe Samidian and Councilmember Koo as well, who mm-hmm. have helped push these. Um, these safe parking lots for, for RV dwellers. I think that's really critical. Um, I'm also excited about the opportunity about for churches who are interested in opening up their land for housing opportunities uh, here in Palo Alto. Because again, the, what, I mean, the, the key issue with housing affordability is the land cost and church land is, I mean, that is, that would be incredibly helpful as far as that, as far as the affordability piece of being actually being able to construct uh, affordable housing here in Palo Alto. And a lot of churches have huge expanses of parking lots within this community. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, you're, 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 you and other churches are starting to consider more telecommuting in the future with, uh, with church services. If that ends up becoming the norm for some churches, they're not going to need a lot, uh, you know, uh, a lot more space. And I think that could be a really good opportunity. Um, in, in addition to, to just the church community continuing to push issues of social injustice within our community and addressing issues such as, uh, you know, such as Black Lives Matter and, and climate change and other issues are going to be key because I, I think the church community is very well respected uh, here. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think you're right. It, it's an interesting dynamic. I will tell you, for the group of us met around the safe RV parking and, and there was a little pushback just to kind of like, well, we, we, we don't want to be the ones that have to, like, there, there, there are greater civic responsibilities that it, it reminded some of us of, like, the, the thousand points of light out of the Bush administration. It was like, okay, now the churches, you guys all, and we're like, so I, I think when, when we were having these conversations, I think we, we are up for it. We really wanted to do it, but we're going to try it with one place. And then pandemic hit. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, so we're going to try to have one grand experiment before all of us just said, okay, let's just open up our lots. But I think it's, it is an interesting place. So like, what are, those, what are those connection points that we can have with the city? Because I think a lot of our folks, especially at first, are just so intertwined with the inner workings of, of policy and public square and their faith. And so all good news though you know, now people are going to hear it's like isn't he the one that wants to take all the church land and put housing on it this is why you get in trouble when you start having longer conversations because then they can be like i think he said take all the churches and build housing <laughs> anyway um i will say i'll point to there's a church in hayward right now they're doing tiny homes in their parking lots as a way to look at folks who are experiencing homelessness as a, as a bridge space. Uh, I think it's eight to 12 tiny homes they've built 
as a way to transition folks from experiencing homelessness mm. to housing. It's been a fascinating uh, First Presbyterian Hayward. I, I just think it's a really interesting dynamic. All right, we got um, um, quick, fast uh, vision for Palo Alto five, 10 years from now. What does it look like? And then we'll get to Q&A. So go ahead, folks, put some questions in the question and answer there. Uh, yeah, I mean, my vision five, 10 years ago uh, from five, five to 10 years ago, years from now, <laughs> my coffee's wearing off. Um, I, 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 envision, I envision a much more equitable, diverse community where we, where we see some of the return in, in diversity that we have lost over the years um, with a mix of, of cultures and families and different age groups being able to coexist together in a, you know, in a, in a very tolerant space that also provides a lot of community serving activities, um, community serving businesses that are, that are close by that we can walk to a much more bikeable public transportation type of town with a less of a reliance on single occupancy vehicles within the, within the community and, and a community that, that people of all income stratas can be able to afford to live here where my, where my teacher friends can be able to live next door to me and to be able to bike to work. Uh, I think would be incredible and a, and a community that is leading the way on climate change and is truly being a world leader on that and, and making, uh, or if it's 10 years from now, actually accomplishing that, uh, that 80 by 30 goal would be incredible. Right. Awesome. All right. I'm going to go to the questions. There's only one in there right now, which is, which is great from Margaret Fiddler. Um, uh, what would be your top choices for rail crossing solutions after electrification leads to additional trains in Palo Alto and why? And do you strongly oppose any proposed solutions and why? So where are you standing on Crossroads and then why don't you like some approaches? Yeah, well, thanks, Margaret. Uh, good question. Uh, I would say I, I don't think, I, I, I don't feel comfortable ever like on a, on a question like that that I might actually have to answer if I was on council. If I give right. a definitive answer right now, I could be considered biased and would have to recuse myself. So I'll kind of talk about my value system for that for for okay. that decision. Um, I think there's a lot of great a lot of great uh, alternatives that have been provided. I am disappointed that the total tunnel option seems to be infeasible because of because of costs uh, mostly there. Um, the hybrid option seems like a really nice kind of uh, middle ground uh, as far as not being the tunnel, but also not being the viaduct, which I've heard a lot of concern from community members about just the unsightliness of, uh, of, a, of the viaduct train, basically being like a monorail um, going right. through the community, concerned about the sound, the, the, the noise of that as well. So the hybrid option seems like a, seems to be one of the, the strong front runners right now. Some of the concerns that I, I always have is uh, if it's gonna require any takings of homes that are gonna be along the corridor there, uh, I think it's a really dangerous area for, for city governments to get into the way of taking people's private property. And that makes me very, feel very uncomfortable. Um, that all being said, the um, grade separation needs to happen. We are going to electrify regardless. I think right now, uh, again, I think right now is a good time for there to be sort of a pause on this because of the pandemic, not understanding what what type of growth we're going to have coming out of this? Are we going to stagnate? Are we going to, are we going to dip? Are we going to grow? Um, there's all of these uncertainties right now uh, caused by the recession as well as, as well as COVID that we're in a difficult point right now to be able to make that definitive answer. In addition to Caltrain's, I think they're at like 97% loss of ridership right now. Yeah. Going yeah. through a lot of problems with fundraising and, and governance. So all that needs to be resolved and worked with, with them as well. 
Um, but again, that being said, I'm certain electrification is going to happen. Uh, it's an important thing to happen. And we need to make sure that we are choosing uh, an option that's going to work for the entire community. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, that was all the questions in the Q&A. You must have answered them all ahead of time. They're usually hey, a little right. more chatty. But, um, so any questions for me as we've been talking? Is there, um, again, you don't have to, but any questions that you have for me at this point? Well, Bruce, I know you, you, you live in, in San Francisco, but you also used to live in Sacramento and Stockton. So I'm worried about your, your divided allegiance to the Giants or the A's. Oh, I'm an A's. Oh, but the church is very clear that I'm an A's fan. And I'm one of those A's fans that is uh, not gracious or kind. It, like there's what like sports hate is just fine. Like general social hate. Like we're, we're not that's but sports hate. Oh yeah. I play fantasy baseball. I never pick giants just out of, out of, I just, I can't do it anyway. So if that, if that excludes me from ever having conversations with you again, I'm, I'm okay with that because, um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, we, we would have had a problem if you were a Dodger fan. But no, you, well, I'm, I'd uh, certainly, I, I, no, that's, I can't fault you for your bad taste in baseball teams. You seem like, yeah, well, let's see, let's see about this year, my friend. Let's see. Hey, Giants. I know, I know you're still in it. It's weird. It's weird that you're still in it. I and mean, it's like, nobody expected the Giants still be in it, but I would love to see another Bay Bridge series. I'm telling you, could happen. Could uh, yeah, happen. no, absolutely. But yeah, all we, right. We, so we last night, Bruce. So don't I know that was what was going on with that. <laughs> that was so bizarre. Weird. All right, uh, last three questions for you before we end our time. What are you reading? What are you watching? And what are you listening to? Let's see, I was ready for the reading question. Uh, reading oh, the Power well, of Law. Sure. I forgot the book club is right after this. So everybody stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Great book. Loving it. Not only as a, uh, as a policy buff, but also as a history teacher. Um, oh, it, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, it's interesting. My, my kids read that at their school in San Francisco. Um, wow. as part of their history class. You weren't kidding. That is a, that's a good program over there. Yeah. I'd love to be yeah. able to get my kids to read it. So, <laughs> we'll, go, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll make maybe. my U.S. history classic done, uh, read it. Um, I don't think they'll like you, Bruce, if I do that. <laughs> Just play me. So what, are you, what are you watching and what are you listening to? What I'm watching, um, you know, I've been a big fan of, uh, of, of America's Got Talent. So I've been enjoying, I've been enjoying watching awesome. that. Uh, always, it, my wife and I, we, o- we always tear up every time we're watching one, oh, yeah. of the, one of the episodes. It's just, it's always so inspiring. I love it. And of, of course, I mean, just yeah, um, all the other just kind of fun shows and oh yeah, I, CNN always on, but not the fun thing to watch anymore. No, I know. Uh, no. And uh, I, I always, before I go to the TV, I'm like, if I'm going to CNN, I'm like, okay, I'm, let's just go find out how awful humans are now. Yeah. And then I can just watch it for a little bit and then turn it off and go back to my brain candy shows. <laughs> yep. I, I saw a meme the other day that somebody was like, let me see what's on the news. If anything's different, they turned on the news. and It was just a picture of the world burning. And they're like, oh, okay. we're still in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. What are you listening to? What I'm listening to? You know, I always go through different genres of where I'm at right now. For some reason, for the last few weeks, I've been on a, uh, on like an alternate 90s alternative rock type of binge. Okay. So... I don't know why. I guess it's maybe throwing me back to my childhood. Um, uh, and then I'm always, I'm always kind of going between that um, and golden oldies or 80s rock. Those are sort of my three that I just, that I rotate between. I mean, like, you really can't go wrong with 80s rock love ballads. 
Uh, I was going to say, you don't have quite the hair for it now, but like if you did, you could just do the big. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, trust me. You, you can imagine. Yeah. If I was able to grow it out, it would be some incredible. Yeah. I'd look like Lego. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, we're end of our time. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Those who are watching, please be sure to register for all the webinars with, we have, I think uh, I have seven more candidates to talk to through September. Uh, and you can visit, you can find us at www. Uh, fpresspa.org. You can connect with Greer on all the on 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 the things, but specifically on Instagram at Greer Stone Number Four Palo Alto, and then also on uh, Facebook. You can easily find him on Facebook. And as always, you can connect with me and all the social media platforms via B Reyes Chow. Uh, be sure to follow and connect to First Presbyterian Church on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FPC Palo Alto. Subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, by searching for First Presbyterian Church Palo Alto. Thanks to Derek Kikuchi for helping out again for the webinar. And thank you, Greer, for sitting down with me today. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. Thanks, Derek. And thanks, everybody, for, for joining. It's been a pleasure talking with all of you. All right, all. Uh, thanks for joining in again. And we will see you at the next webinar. Take care. BRC and Friends was produced, written, recorded, and edited by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dog, Vespa. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via B-R-C-A-N-D-F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Thanks for listening to BRC and Friends. DQ presents... Picture this. Picture the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu with iconic flavors that taste like instant summer. You order the one and only drumstick blizzard with peanuts. Oh, wow. Crunchy waffle cone pieces, world-famous DQ soft serve, and blue sky bliss. Or maybe you get the brownie batter blizzard. Ooh-wee. Fudgy brownie goodness. You're feeling breezy and dreamy all over. Moments like these are why the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu exists. Get it delivered at DQ.com. DQ. Happy tastes good. DQ presents... Picture this. Picture the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu with iconic flavors that taste like instant summer. You order the one and only drumstick blizzard with peanuts. Oh, wow. Crunchy waffle cone pieces, world-famous DQ soft serve, and blue sky bliss. Or maybe you get the brownie batter blizzard. Ooh-wee. Fudgy brownie goodness. You're feeling breezy and dreamy all over. Moments like these are why the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu exists. Get it delivered at DQ.com. DQ. Happy tastes good.